This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast networks. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast about the politics of a galaxy far, far away, and what it can teach us about our own world right now. I'm your host, Stephen Kent, and this is episode 80, Release the JJ Cut, Fake News and Star Wars. This episode is going to be a little different than most. I'm going to have some updates for all of you on the podcast, what the next few months will look like with the show and some personal stuff, and of course, a dive into the world of myth, information, and fake news embodied by the Star Wars fandom's lurch toward conspiracy with hashtag release the JJ cut. This episode will be a little shorter than most. I am moving. Um... Things are in boxes all around me. I look around, I don't see anything but boxes. If you are a longtime Bantha, you will know that I moved last year out of the DC area and back to my native Raleigh, North Carolina. It has been an interesting year to say the least. Um, look, I mean, I, I think I left DC under the impression that I was tired of it, that wanted to get out of the swamp, wanted to go back to a simple life, uh, a little bit slower pace back home in North Carolina. Um, I've got a wife, a daughter who is nine years old, and we wanted to home own and buy. And we thought that that would be right for us back home. And we got down here, been like eight months, kind of getting down to it, looking at houses, like all that stuff. And it just didn't feel right. And it's uh, now come to the point where we have moved our search back up to the D.C. area, and we bought um, about 30 miles outside of D.C. in Manassas, Virginia. So that is now home, and we are moving back to exactly the same area where we were living for the past three years, where Beltway Banthas was founded in a basement with my friend Tirso Perez up in Manassas. And uh, yeah, we're headed back, back to the swamp. Um quite an interesting year. I've learned a lot uh, about myself, about podcasting solo and alone here in North Carolina. It's going to be nice to be back up in the DC area. It's going to be nice to be with uh, a bunch of Banthas and uh, folks who work in politics and media who are Star Wars fans to be able to get them back involved in the show for interviews uh, and talking about Star Wars and their day-to-day jobs. I haven't been able to interview many media figures uh, and people working uh, on the Hill about Star Wars since coming back down to North Carolina. So I'm excited for that to be back on the menu for all of you and myself included. So going to be back up there uh, January 20th. So pretty much right around the corner. Um, That means I'll get to take the show's intro back to Welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy, our very own galaxy, Washington, (laughs) D.C. I can't wait. Really excited to have that be the intro of the show and my life again. Now, what I laid out a couple of months ago when the show relaunched was that when we returned, there was going to be a break after the rise of Skywalker hit theaters, episode nine hit theaters. 
um, in January, and then there's going to be a pause in the show. That time has officially come, so this is going to be the last episode until March 4th, the first Thursday of that month. During that time, this time, I'm going to be doing some show writing, maybe backlogging some interviews, and doing work on the show uh, for the year ahead, so really thinking about some new topics, new guests, and doing that research part of the show, which um, is really time-consuming. It's been really hard to do on my own here running a solo shop. Um, so I'm going to be taking this time to, to think about the show uh, and what's coming around the corner. So there is going to be that break up until March 4th. Now, I've got a guest coming on today to talk about hashtag release the JJ Cut fake news and Star Wars. Uh, my friend Andrew Kinlon, who I've gotten to work uh, with and know through the media business, is a news producer in New York City, and he is joining us here today. So we're going to cut over to that interview and discussion of some articles on conspiracy theory within Star Wars and what it says, most importantly, about the world in which we live, our own echo chambers, our own political bubbles, and how prone we all can be to political theory, or excuse me, conspiracy theory and confirmation bias. So going to go that interview, just want to flag going in, expect a little bit of city noise. My friend Andrew is up there in the New York, New Jersey area. So there'll be the occasional car honks and, uh, and just environmental sounds of the big city. You just can't escape it. Um, and down here in North Carolina, we have crickets guess that's going to be what I look forward to going back up to the DC area. So without any further delay, here's our discussion on fake news, Star Wars conspiracy release the JJ cut. Okay. So down to business. I wanted to do a transmission this week on a series of articles that have been coming out about Star Wars fandom because they relate really nicely to this moment that we are in politically across the world, mostly in democracies as a result of some of our uh, enemies and non-democratic countries across the world. And we're going to get into the issue of conspiracy theory. First off, I know that Star Wars fandom being as factional as it is basically means that every faction thinks that the other faction that they don't like, they don't consider them to be part of fandom. Okay, I get it, but I'm going to disregard that entirely and speak of the body as a whole, uh, which would be warts and all, because that is all of those factions, they kind of define what Star Wars fandom is just as much as the beautiful sides of that Um, such as community, love, and passion that we all see play out at Comic-Cons and Star Wars celebrations. We are all stuck with each other. Echo chambers be damned. We are all the Star Wars fandom. So there are these articles out over at NBC, Vox, and also BuzzFeed about the hashtag release the JJ cut and the vortex of misinformation and conspiracy that has gripped Star Wars fandom for many, many years, uh, but has only grown since the new trilogy began and united some previously in-conflict factions together in the belief that the rise of Skywalker we got was not the rise of Skywalker that was intended for the big screen. It's really kind of crazy. So for this, I have assembled a a small newsy roundtable featuring new friend Andrew Kinlon and a working TV producer from the Big Apple. Uh, He's a deep Star Wars fan. Andrew, welcome back on to Beltway Banthas. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's good to be back. 
Yeah, well, you uh, you made your first appearance last week as a forced ghost doing a, uh, <laughs> a review of the of the of the Rise of Skywalker. Very much enjoyed uh, getting that clip from you. Um, so it's nice to have you back in this formal capacity. Is it true what I heard? Uh, you have the JJ cut stashed away under your mattress. You have it. Oh yeah, it's right next to my uh, <laughs> Zach Zach Snyder cut of Justice League. You also have the Snyder cut, of course. <laughs> how do you get, how did you get your hands on these things my god oh okay. <laughs> you know, work, I, working working in tv has its benefits yeah yeah I, you can just call somebody up from uh from your high tower in new york city and you can just get the cuts that you want to see you know being an associate producer low, <laughs> you just get whatever you want <laughs> you we're just call we're just not call hollywood and be like i'm an i'm a producer at a new <laughs> studio sir send me the cut that, well, of course, I've got uh, I've got JJ and Spielberg on speed dial. Come on, you know you should know that. <laughs> I, Andrew, I want I'm going to get into the, the weeds here of this of this issue of of release the JJ cut, but I, I guess I just wanted to ask you off the bat. I mean, did you did you expect something like this from Star Wars fandom? Because I've I've watched very dispassionately and not really reading up on it too much, this whole thing about the Snyder Cut and Batman mm-hmm. and DC fandom, yeah. but I've never really gotten deep into it. I always knew Star Wars had a conspiratorial side, but this seems like a new level. I'm going to be honest with you. The first time I saw that hashtag, I, I thought that was a joke. Like, you know, like it, when somebody... Like mocking like, the DC like mock, people, yeah. Like mocking, yeah. If you see in politics, like if, like if a politician like like Trump or Biden like makes a gap, you'll see it trending like a Kofi feed, like Kofi feed like that. I thought that, <laughs> I thought that was a joke. And I looked it up and I, at first I was surprised, but then I realized, nah, this, this isn't shocking. There's, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, like going into the segment. Like there is, there's always been this conspiratorial uh, mindset within a certain segment of Star Wars fans, not all Star Wars fans, I'm not slogging them, but it, it's been going on at least going going back to when The Force Awakens came out and you saw all these like these YouTube almost almost featured length essays of, like theorizing, you know, who is Rey, who is Snoke, who is Finn, is Finn a clone and all that. So mm, man, you're being you're being very um very charitable actually. I mean, <laughs> well, I think what I think what we're gonna get into here a little bit is that you know this goes this goes back to the uh the the 90s, 1997, yeah. um, and the first beginning of the special editions. But let me set the table here a little bit for everybody. I'm going to read uh, an excerpt, a good a uh, good little portion of the BuzzFeed article for all of you, and I'd like all of you listening to go and check it out yourselves. Uh, the piece is called the Star Wars misinformation hell is the new future of everything. Very well put. So here we go. Last week, a post on Reddit, saltier than crate subreddit, a forum that started as a place for Star Wars fans to pick apart The Last Jedi, caused an eruption. Written by a user named Ego Shop, Ego Shop, <laughs> the message was claimed uh, that J.J. Abrams' original cut of The Rise of Skywalker was 40 minutes longer than the film's two-hour and 22-minute theatrical runtime and contained a large chunk of material that would have made some fans happier, including a scene featuring actors Hayden Christensen and Samuel L. Jackson reprising their roles to help fellow Jedi Rey defeat Emperor Palpatine. Why would Disney, the media conglomerate that brought the science fiction franchise from George Lucas in 2012, cut huge chunks out of Abrams' final edit? According to Ego Shop, the reasons were twofold. 
to make the film more palatable to the Chinese government and to damage the professional reputation of Abrams, who Warner Brothers was courting to work on films set in the DC Comics universe, which includes characters like Batman and Superman. Now try to hold it together, Andrew. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, no, I'm just, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's funny. It's funny. So Marvel's biggest threat is a well-operational DC. They want to keep DC in the limbo that they're in right now, the post reads. Abrams, jump-starting that franchise, says Ego Shop, with something like a successful audience-pleasing Superman movie makes them nervous. Their goal is to make J.J. look bad to potential investors and shareholders. Ego Shop is saying this about... Uh, Disney wanting to make their own director look bad. The post inflamed long-running Star Wars fandom paranoia that Disney has been using social media to manipulate fans. In it, Ego Shop warns that all previous leaks about the rise of Skywalker were shared by users tied to Disney directly. Fans have accused Disney of this for many, many years. It was impossible for Redditors to ascertain whether Ego Shop was telling the truth, trolling for fun, or lying to help Abrams, whose film has faced a critical fan backlash uh, as well as critics themselves. Regardless, hashtag release the JJ cut trended on Twitter as fans pieced together links and quotes from the cast, screenwriters, and directors across a variety of interviews to prove that a different cut of The Rise of Skywalker existed. The Star Wars fandom is now a nesting doll of speculation, paranoia, and anxiety about corporate overreach growing more insular and reactionary in the eight years since Disney took over Star Wars. I'm going to conclude here with this. The misinformation and anger inside the Star Wars fandom is what happens after decades of corporatization and anonymous decentralized networking takes hold. It is a glimpse of a future in which anxieties over the motives of mega corporations that drive our culture down to our very mythologies set off conflicts between warring information tribes who inhabit their own artificial narratives. What began with small but vocal insurgent online communities like 4chan or the alt-right have now come to the mainstream. But there is no mainstream culture, just as there is no central Star Wars fandom anymore. Today, popular culture is just gamer gates of varying size. That pretty much <laughs> that pretty much sums up what this piece uh, continues to lay out in detail about what is going on uh, with Star Wars fandom since the rise of Skywalker, but something that has been sort of boiling underneath the surface for years. And, and you pointed to it very nicely, Andrew, uh, with the start of the rise of Skywalker and all of the the rise of just these these rumor mill websites. Um, but then there's this sort of wild card, which is Reddit and 4chan, where people basically just are constantly posting that they are receiving leaks from inside um, these movie studios, that they have inside information. And the problem is, Andrew, a lot of the information that comes out in some of these quote-unquote leaks from inside have nuggets of truth in them. <laughs> it yeah, gets really, really messy. And this isn't this isn't something new, of course. I mean, like if you go back, I don't know if you if you remember this. I remember, and I was a kid when this was happened. I was gullible enough to believe this. Uh, back when the prequels were being made, there was a popular Star Wars fan website called Super Shadow who would always post these. Said that he had the inside dirt that he personally knew George Lucas, and he had all the scripts for episodes one, two, and three around like back in like nineteen ninety nine to two thousand. Episodes two and three hadn't been produced yet, but there's always going to be that aspect, though, like uh, that just 
there's going to be fans that are just going to be gold, gold enough to believe it. Like I was part of them. I was one of those fans that believed it because it's the internet. If you, if someone says on the internet, it must be true. Like, they, this, you, uh, do, do you recall like one fan rumor mill myth that ever like just legit just duped you and you were like, yes, I'm in on this. <laughs> I think it was just the way, uh, the way this, this individual I'm, I'm describing like detailed, like how two episodes, because at this point, episode one, had just come out. Uh, so it was that next summer he was describing that episodes two and three were going to go and episode two was going to have it like, you know, Anakin turned to the dark side and episode three was all going to take place 20 years later and, and just right re- and write it like lead right into the original star Wars, which we kind of got actually a, a yeah. decade more than almost two decades later with Rogue one. So that's kind of ironic in hindsight, but yeah, yeah that's uh, I would say like I was duped then because again, I, I mean, to, to defend myself, I was a gullible 10, uh, 10, 11 year old. Yeah. But you know, the thing with all of these, these theory mills, right. Is that they usually get little bits right to validate themselves along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the big story, right. That, that, that this is all based off of came from Reddit. Um, it was a post by Jedi Praxis. Um, that's one of the users. They posted a summary of what the rise of Skywalker was going to be 71 days before the release of the rise of Skywalker. And it was in the star Wars leak subreddit. And it said that it had an inside trusted source. Now this summary that was posted of the entire screenplay included and got correct. The name of emperor Palpatine's planet Exegol. Uh, it also guessed what the movie's twist was going to be. And that Ray was his granddaughter. And they even mentioned in this, uh, this series of leaks, the character Babu freak, um, or Frag or freak, Little guy, I love him, but uh, <laughs> he is great. Um, he is. But it got it got enough stuff right in the end for people to now go, oh my god, like this this is like legit stuff. And along the way, it was convincing enough. I mean, I'm looking over it myself right now. I've got it pulled up in a tab, and it's really kind of remarkable. I mean, the the, the description that this person had included Kylo uh, going to this planet Exegol and finding an Emperor Palpatine laid out uh, on a bed, kind of a bed sort of thing, surrounded by Sith cultists in cloaks, which like that, it all looked different in the final movie, but that is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> that That is what happened. Um, you know, it's, it's all just very strange and it makes you wonder. Um, but then again, these are all sort of things that if just a little bit of it is correct, the rest of it just sort of starts to become a blur. Yeah. And that, honestly, we had, I don't think, I don't think we've seen anything like this before for any of the other Star Wars movies, because, you know, given that Star Wars is such a popular franchise, like these movies have always been produced on a very, you know, uh, tight end, tight end scenario where like, you know, all, all loops, lips are sealed. Like I remember, like not, we didn't see this for any of the movies, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi. I remember, like, there were spoilers that would leak, but they would leak normally after the movie had been released, like, through the movie premiere. Like, never like yeah. this, like, months in advance. And you know, I think it, I think it kind of goes off a little bit of a base assumption within fandom, and I'm going to kind of channel a little bit of that assumption, which is there is a belief in sort of old guard Star Wars fandom that there surely cannot be chemistry and kumbaya 
between Lucasfilm and Disney, kind of Disney's corporate structure and higher ups. Like there's a lot of people who just believe intuitively that there must be conflict between old Lucas loyalists who still work mm-hmm. in the company and people who are at Disney now. And that then you're going to get kind of a leaker syndrome that you never had before because it's a new guard, a new king, and they don't quite like them. They don't trust them. And they're going to try to leak stuff out to fans to undermine Disney's success, which is, is quite a conspiratorial approach. But I mean, kind of have it going on in the white house right now <laughs> um, you know, this is no, you know this is no comments people, this is this is what people do right i by the way i am anonymous uh <laughs> i am anonymous i, I knew it <laughs> the the new york times best-selling author <laughs> so so you're so you're the so you're part of the deep state <laughs> i i always was part of the deep state yeah actually oh, uh, makes sense. Yeah, i've always i've always been in the swamp but no i mean like that's kind of thing you know with the idea of of these people who have kind of been undermining the president from day one is that these are lifers who were there before him. They were always part of the bureaucracy and they just don't like his MAGA approach to things. They don't like his vision and so they undermine him with the press. (laughs) And you pretty much have the same thing in theory that happens here. And people connect the dots between seeing those two different phenomenons happen and they say like, well, these things make sense. Um, and, And honestly, like it's hard to disagree that there would be disagreement behind the scenes, right? Like, do you really believe that, for instance, J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson are completely chummy about their their two different movies? They say they are in interviews and their press well, interviews. They, they yeah, both, that's, yeah. That's like, typical. Yeah, that's typical Hollywood, like, niceties right there. I wouldn't... I, I mean, and I've seen... I, I'm like, I, you know, what you're alluding to, I've seen, like, all theories back and forth that they're chummy or they hate each other. I honestly think... It's just uh, probably a quarter relationship. I'm sure that when J.J. Abrams saw The Last Jedi, he thought to, he probably thought to himself, like, Jesus, what do I do now? Yeah. So I, and I, and also, like, going back to what you said earlier, alluding to people being dissatisfied, like, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, like, we have seen in the past couple of years, like, look at that whole tumultuous production with Solo, where you had uh, the original directors, uh, really blanking on their names right now, uh, Lord and Miller, you know, they were originally the writers and, and directors on Solo, and Apparently, they weren't. Uh, pl- uh, the production wasn't going along the way uh, Kathleen Kennedy wanted, and they were fired and replaced by Ron Howard. So, I'm sure there's probably some people Lucasfilm like who disapprove of that, like in terms of abandoning some, like kind of that more creative approach and going for more of the. And I don't want to insult Ron Howard. I think he's a great filmmaker, but going for more of that workmanlike approach, like you know, not a yes man, but someone who is going to get the job done for you. <laughs> yeah, they brought they brought in someone who was reliable and not going to shake things up. I made sure uh, to preface that because in the highly highly unlikely events I ever get involved in the Hollywood industry, I didn't just badmouth one of its nope, uh, it never directors. It never happens. <laughs> you you are anonymous. Yeah, um, exactly. But, but no, so uh, it's kind of changing topics a little bit. I mean, you mentioned. Um, you know, the kind of the phenomenon that's starting around The Force Awakens and the rise of these blogs. One thing that's pointed out and, and is, I think, very nicely put by the BuzzFeed writer is that what is going on here with The Rise of Skywalker is sort of the final chapter in a complete war on what truth is within Star Wars. And it began to fall apart in 1997 with who shot first. Oh, yes. And 
I have never really thought about it this way. So recuts of the original movie changed the iconic scene where Han is being uh, taken by Greedo or Greedo is going to take him into Jabba for the, for the bounty. Um, and Han blasts him in the face first. This is the original version of Star Wars. He does not give Greedo a chance uh, in the special editions, which for the record, I was raised on. I've never Same seen here. the original, <laughs> never seen you've, the original movies. You've, you've never um, seen the original versions? I've seen the original Empire Strikes Back. I have not seen the original, original Star Wars now. But, you know, the whole point of this is that truth fell apart in this in the release of the special editions. Um, yeah. You know, it was not just about what was Star Wars. It was about what was real. It was what was, like, the real thing that happened in a galaxy far, far away with Han and Greedo and then many <laughs> other things that, that came after it. Every time yeah. I've seen a Star Wars panel at a con titled Who Shot First or someone asks, um, mm. you know, oh, who shot first to the crowd, I, I kind of roll my eyes because it's so boring to me at this point. It's but in this, in this context, me. yeah, but in this context, yeah. it's the catalyst for a fandom that lives in alternate realities and has internalized a paranoia and aggrievement towards its own creators that has only begun, I think, at this point to, to get to be a big snowball. It's you just gotten think, so huge. You don't think that started in 83 with Jedi, with the Ewoks? Because I, I have to imagine that probably... But the like Ewoks this. don't represent a a changing of the canon. It just represents something that they thought was corny, right? Like, they didn't... I would assume so, but I, I mean, some would make the argument, I mean, that the Ewoks would be a precursor to what we would see with the prequels and uh, to this day is like the more you know, merchandising effect of the star Wars franchise. I mean, it was always there with star Wars and empire sharks back, but especially with return of the Jedi where you brought it to that more kiddie toyetic aspect with the Ewoks. <laughs> and I'm, I, again, I, as, as someone who was barely a gleam in my daddy's eye when that movie came out, you know, like I have to imagine like that must've been at least a turning point for some fans back then, especially after you go off, come off a very dark uh, movie like empire. You know, I guess that's always been the conventional wisdom. But just the other day, I was watching this Facebook video, um, which was a news report from a, a local news station back in 1983. And it was just this seven-minute package report on uh, opening night of the, the Return of the Jedi. And it was, oh, people yeah. going, it was people going into the movie and then people coming out of the movie. And then oh, like oh, people the in the park. I know. And it was so wholesome. It's like my favorite video now. But people loved it. I mean, people loved it. The folks who were in the, the line all night, they just were, were oozing with enthusiasm and joy. They're like, this is the best George Lucas has ever done. Like, I didn't think Star Wars could get better after Empire, but here it is. And I just, I kind of turned off that video and go like, no, I think that maybe this is part of a narrative that has developed over time, but I'm not sure that in the moment that's what people were thinking. Like, oh my God, I've never seen a cute creature in Star Wars before. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't agree with that. And it's kind of how I feel about Jar Jar is that like kids didn't mind Jar Jar. It was yeah. when we all started talking to each other about it, that it kind of spiraled out of control. Well, I mean, it worked, it worked for the demographic. Again, I was, I think it was around like eight or nine when Phantom Menace came out and it worked for me. I mean, when I saw a movie, I loved Jar Jar. I don't now, but you yeah. know, it's, I mean, they, you know, he's, he, he appeals to kids and you know, if that works for them, you know, they've done their job. Doesn't may not work for us, the adults, but you know. Yeah. And I guess just Star Wars fans 
for so long. I guess going back to 97 and, and what began with my Star Wars, my personal <laughs> Star Wars, I just always kind of shrugged it off that there were older fans who were aggrieved by that. Like, I was like, okay, like, whatever. This isn't like a real problem or a real thing that I should ever be concerned about. <laughs> but then you think about that fan. You think about that one fan. Maybe it's one of the characters from that Star Wars movie's fanboys. Uh, who? Oh boy, does that movie hold up now? <laughs> uh, and I probably need to watch it again just to like really understand where the culture was going. But you just like imagine one of those guys yeah. and then other fandoms that they're involved with going downhill or running into weird problems. And then the internet comes out and they, they stop hanging out at comic book shops with people and they start hanging out on Reddit, right? Like the, the fandom moves from in-person interactions and, and sort of smaller communities to massive online communities. And you cover politics, Andrew, like you know how quickly people just kind of fall down wormholes um, and become yeah. lost in their own, their own worlds. And, and I fate. just imagine that fan getting really dark really fast. Oh yeah. I mean there, and unfortunately I think it's gotten worse in the age of the internet, like fans personalize it to the point that it, it becomes a part of them. And you know, the reason I say that is I was that fan when I was younger. I was that fan that I would get upset if someone dared to criticize something like Star Wars or you know, how Dragon dare Ball. you? Yeah, exactly. Or Dragon Ball Z or you know Batman or any of that stuff. And now as an adult, like you know, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Like I, I remember when I saw the when I was on Rotten Tomatoes like a couple days before the Rise of Skywalker opened. And I saw that score, that finally that score came up. I mean, it was in the fifties. Like young me would have been like. No, that can't be. Like you know, like uh, it, it's not possible. When I, as soon as I read that, I was like, "Oh, that's a shame." Well, I'll still go with open mind, but you know, it's possible. It may suck. Womp womp. But you know, like just the, this entire idea that it, it's not possible, like that other people might have not liked this movie. Exactly. People, people, and and just like thinking of so the past couple of films, like The Last Jedi in particular people just sort of latch on to their idea of what the truth is. And then when it is validated by enough people in their, their immediate orbit, it, it becomes the truth. And then anyone else who's sort of subverting that is an enemy or somebody who's peddling in some sort of conspiracy theory. Um, I, I just, this has gotten really extreme really fast and I don't really know what to do do with it with star wars fandom because this feels like a new low this this release the jj cut thing i was yeah. listening to an interview the other day with the the editor of the film i can't remember her name a longtime collaborator jj abrams she was doing the the show uh the cut talking about the film and she was just kind of talking in a run-of-the-mill way about how a movie is edited that there's a lot of decision making there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and then there's a timeline there's a crunch right that disney basically was like the movie's coming out this time it has to be done and the timeline got moved up for them and people look at normal narratives such as reshoots as chaos like right they look at yeah. uh, the, the rogue one being put through reshoots as evidence of mismanagement and one of my my favorite entertainment writers, um, Brian Young, he just kind of points out that like if you follow movies, reshoots are part of making movies. <laughs> yes, but if you are in this community of fandom who is 
of the belief that things are in utter chaos and mismanagement, news about reshoots is confirmation for what you already believed. And then everything else that you believe about mismanagement at Disney or these, these narratives then is becoming true because of that. Well, because they think re- they see reshoots and they just think, oh, it's already in chaos, but you just hit the nail on the head. Like it's fairly common in the movie industry. Uh, that famous scene in the Avengers, the post credit scene where they're all eating shawarma, that's a, that was a reshoot. They, if you read up, they, they shot that, they shot, reshot that after they had premiered the movie. So it's not, it's not a, a you know, a, a rare occurrence. It happens all the time. I think what happens is now with fans who become so aggrieved, especially when they have such an emotional attachment and they become disappointed in said property, if they see something going on, it's being reshoot. They'd be like, oh, it must be bad. Whereas, no, it's just business as usual. I mean, you look at Rogue One. I mean, a lot of that movie was, uh, you know, a good part of that movie was reshot. But, you know, it, we all saw what we all saw what happened with Rogue One. It wasn't a disaster. It came out. It got great reviews and was a huge success for Disney. Yeah. And it did initially go a different way. There were different outcomes to that movie. And I think what baffles me is this suggestion that pre-existing cuts of the movie are the real movie (laughs) and the one that got released is not the movie. I I get from a film nerd perspective, like people are like, Oh, like the director had his own cut. That's why we have the director's cut and the theatrical cut um, because there are other considerations that directors have to make uh, when putting out a movie for general audiences and the mass public. Um, So the director's cut sort of has this long heritage in, in film but the idea that the movie that was not put out is the real movie i is is offensive like there are movies yeah. that are there are movies that are longer because of its of, of a director's cut and then there are movies that are different movies because yes. of previous cuts movies yeah. are are shooting a bunch of pieces and then arranging the the pieces to a puzzle and then you're like oh actually i like this arrangement better and the previous one might have been really interesting but it might not be the one that they liked the most but yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen and I've seen this like you see this with other franchises too. Like I've seen uh, Lord of the Rings fans say that who prefer the extended cuts, who, who call those versions the real versions and dismiss the theatrical cuts. Now, as someone like me, I prefer watching the extended cuts, but I'm not going to dismiss the theatrical cuts. Those are the versions that came out and you know create created a worldwide phenomenon for the franchise. But would you say that the, are the extended cuts everything that was in the extended portions? Are canon, right? Like they happened, right? That's a good with question. Of, right there. With Lord of the Rings, like uh, there's like this, there's like a scene with Boromir and his brother that was cut out. Yeah. Um of the of the second movie, Two Towers. It was like a flashback scene, I think, two, with Boromir. It's Two Towers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think in an extended cut of that movie, you are still supposed to take those scenes as like almost like deleted scenes. Like these things happened, but they weren't in the movie. Yeah, and again, it, it, again, it, it all goes down to your preference. Like, I know people who prefer the theatrical cuts because they can make the argument that they whip along really fast, and they're a lot, they're they're less of a time commitment. I mean, Return of the King's extended cut is four hours. Oh my god! And I, and I, I yeah, exactly. And I, and I've had situations where I've introduced people to Lord of the Rings. If I want to get them into it, I just show, I show them the theatrical versions because I know like that's gonna it's gonna be so overwhelming to just you know throw all of them out. Throw, you know, three movies that are like three and a half to four hours. Like those yeah. movies are long to begin with. Like they're going to feel overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, there was there was 
this whole can of worms that was opened up by what we were talking about earlier with uh, with the special editions about what Star Wars actually was, like what was the real Star Wars. And then there was just so much, I think, in the early 2000s about, you know, what was the right way to watch Star Wars? Do you watch Star Wars from four, five, six, uh, and then one, two, three, because yeah. that's the theatrical order? Or do you watch it in story order? There was this whole thing that Topher Grace, like cutting down the prequels to a single 85-minute movie that people say online, like, this is the way to watch the prequels because it cuts out everything we don't like about them. Then there's Machete Order, which eliminates the Phantom Menace almost entirely. Um, There was this this infamous 20,000-word blog, um, the Ring Theory post, in which a fan spent almost two years writing about how the prequels and the original trilogy rhymed with each other um, oh, and geez. were supposed to be viewed within the same structure. Um, there was this red letter media, 70 minute demolition <laughs> of the Phantom Menace uh, that was oh, uploaded yes. to YouTube in seven parts. And it, this has gotten 9 million views this this video and when you think about like fake news sensations right and you think about um people absorbing conspiracy theories and doctored videos online in the political realm like let's say like nancy pelosi like having her voice slowed down to sound drunk oh, and, yeah. or oh, something yeah. like that like a lot of people understood that that was you know edit that that was supposed to make people laugh but then a lot of people didn't and you watch the the view count on these videos nine million for this this video destroying the phantom menace and recutting it in a way that they wanted it cut and people don't forget that stuff it's fine for it to be out there it's totally fine for it to be out there but people don't forget that stuff and I know it seems petty to be concerned about red letter media doing a a little funny recut of the Phantom Menace their way, but like it's, it's become something else. It's grown far beyond that. It's fed a bitterness and like an anger in people that what was on theater screens wasn't real, that this wasn't star Wars. Yeah. And I, I, you know what, I was like that when I was like, uh, when I was growing up, like uh, in my twenties, like, you know, again, I grew up, I was a kid when the prequel started, I was probably like 14 or so when Revenge of the Sith came out and I loved them all when they came out. And when I, when I got older and I began in my twenties, I was really rediscovering my love for the original versions of those movies. I like had shut out the prequels entirely out of my, out of my head. Ken, it's like, Oh, it's only, only the original three matter. And now as I've gotten older, I just honestly, like there's no point to it. Like, you know, if you like the prequels, great, you don't, that's fine. You don't need to watch them. Like I don't, I, I just, I, you know, I, we had discussed, I'd rewatched all the movies before the Rise of Skywalker came out, and I still don't care for the Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones, but I really like Revenge of the Sith, but that's fine. I mean, there's an audience for it. If you want to just stick with the originals, I mean, that's fine. But, you know, if there, there's nothing wrong with enjoying all three trilogies of, of Star Wars. There's, um, there's these different strands of conspiracy theory thought within star Wars fandom. Um, a lot of them always come down to Kathleen Kennedy. I think it's funny that both sides of the fandom, when you break them into political factions, the sort of uh, reactionary conservatives on, on forums and then sort of the really far left star Wars Twitter, um, <laughs> they all hate Kathleen Kennedy and all. Really? Blame uh, Ka- yeah. Even, yeah. Yeah. Even, even like, 
like far left like uh yeah as, yeah, yeah. as, as yeah. again someone like me who is more who is very it was very liberal leaning i would i would i would imagine like progressives like are are would like would like that with kathleen kennedy like you know having so a woman there in are, charge there of the are, company there are call some, me naive but there yeah there are select people like that i can think of and, and people in that community that do but i would feel very comfortable saying as a whole that left star wars twitter does not like Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, she's a cis white woman um, oh. who works in the biggest, the biggest company in the world, the biggest entertainment company in the world, and is oh, basically yes. of the of the capitalist agenda. And she basically runs things. Um, like, now, now I see it. <laughs> they basically have her painted as sort of like a conservative monolith, right? That that she's sort of this uh, embodiment of traditional Hollywood and keeping things normal as possible. So when there are representation issues on screen, there's lack of diversity. There's not gay people front and center on the the screen of Star Wars. Uh, they think it's a Kathleen Kennedy issue that she, they that she is sort of maintaining that status quo um, of sort of a conservative approach to cinema. And on the Daily Wire, for instance, on the <laughs> other side, um, uh, Kathleen Kennedy is called the SJW Queen of Star Wars. Of course, um, there they have an entirely, completely different narrative about the same person, the very same person uh, that she is liberalizing star wars that she is ham handing or you know or you know ham fisting or whatever the saying is <laughs> um lgbtq characters into the franchise um that you know that my god like kelly marie tran like how could there possibly be a vietnamese person in star wars well that has to be blamed on kathleen kennedy the sjw it's remarkable to me that the same woman is the point of ire for two different sides of fandom who believe two different com complete realities uh but they both have their avatar in the same woman it's uh it's incredibly nasty but like this is what conspiracy theory is all about is alternate reality backing up pre-existing truths that you already believe and looking for things that fit into those narratives. I mean, you raise a good point like that. Like, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's both sides of the equation trying to find something that fits, that suits their narrative. And even like, I, you know, I, when you were introducing the Buzzfeed article, I mean, I know I had laughed, I chuckled a little bit. Um, Cause just, it, just as you were going through the scenarios, like, like, Disney of all, of all companies wants to screw over their own director because it's he hilarious. He, yeah, but yeah the, the logic of them trying to screw over someone who whose previous movie made them nearly three billion dollars and launched the franchise, put the franchise back on the map. Yeah, they want. Yeah, they want. Yeah, they but the, the they theory want. basically is asking you to believe what you what you might suspect about sort of corporations, you know, right? In the smoke-filled rooms and a bunch of guys huddled around in a dark room yes. with dim lighting and going like, hmm, how are we going to, you know, do our long-term strategy? Oh, J.J. Abrams might go over to DC. Wow, well, let's ruin J.J. Abrams' final Star Wars movie, which is their movie. It's, which never, uh, which never yeah. mind the fact that's already happened with James Gunn. <laughs> he's already <sighs> done Guardians He's done. He's doing Guardians of the Galaxy three while he's also working on the Suicide Squad sequel. So that throws that out the window. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I, but you I, know, I, I, uh, to all of this, I mean, conspiracy theory is very common. I think we're going to kind of head towards the, the 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 home plate here. The University of Chicago political science professor Eric Oliver, um, he in two thousand and 
2017, um, he did a study, and this came as a big shock to him, where he began studying conspiracy theories over the past couple of years. And he said that if you take a survey, or if you could take the survey listing five or six popular conspiracy theories, such as the false charge that the NASA uh, faked the moon landing or Lee Harvey Oswald was a CIA plant, half of all respondents in his study at the University of Chicago will mark at least one of these things true. Um, and, and it includes a whole host of other conspiracy theories as well. The one that typically gets the most support, he says, is the untrue charge that the FDA is withholding the cure for cancer uh, under pressure from big uh, food and drug firms. This is the most common one for people to support that the FDA has the cure for cancer under lock and key and they are protecting it for corporate interests. And then you think about where American politics has gone and just like deep, 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 deep trust, uh, distrust of corporations in the pol political realm and then in Star Wars as well. And you're like, wow, this makes perfect sense. Um, and Oliver divides the electorate here into two groups looking at American voters. And he classifies them as either uh, intuitionists who draw on their own feelings and gut instincts to make sense of the world, and rationalists who put more stock in studies and facts. So intuitionists, gut instinct people to make sense of the world, and rationalists who are looking at studies. Who would you ascribe, Andrew? Who do you think <laughs> are the rationalists? In what regard? With Star Wars? Um, let's go political, like in terms of political factions. Uh, let's just think left-right, red-blue. Who would you probably ascribe the rationalism to or the rationalist viewpoint to? I would say, I mean, it, there is, I don't want to say, I hate to be that kind of person that does the both sides thing because I think that's such a tired old trope. But I do think it's a little bit more on the left side that I, I, I see more of that prescribed to because... And don't get me wrong, we have seen some really embarrassing conspiracy theories. No, you know, it's, I think it's okay to say. I mean, in, being intuitionist is just something that like is it leads you to be more religious, right? Like if, exactly. if you are if you are a person who is an intuition based person, you go with your gut, you go with a feeling, you go with sort of a magnetic pull of the universe about yeah. what you think is true. And in in one way of breaking it out. A lot of people who are intuitionists tend to be uh, more religious, and that can still land you on the left or the right. Um, but you know, leftists in particular, they can ascribe to conspiracy theories uh, based off rationalism. Um, they tend to be, you know, individuals who like they really want to see studies and facts, and that's you know why you kind of see this breakdown. I think particularly in the issue of climate on how people feel. Um, the, the the right tends to in my opinion they have a feeling about the climate they just like yes. you, you, you see it all the time they go outside and they go well it's cold in december it's warm in january <laughs> everything's fine to me never, <laughs> like yes, never, literally, never mind the fact literally that the, what they do <laughs> it's never mind the fact that climate and weather are two different things but i know exactly know, just saying but, yeah, but th this is what you see all the time. And then, you know, you, your friends on the left will be like, oh, look at this study and look at that study and be like, I'm not going to read a study. I'm looking out the window. Everything looks fine to me. And, oh, and, uh, I, and, I, and I've seen that on the left, too. Like, again, as someone like me who is definitely more I am, I consider myself, uh, you know, more uh, more liberal leaning. I am I am definitely in that camp. But I have seen some embarrassing stuff. I, I was seeing stuff. I remember back during the Mueller investigation, I saw people who thought that. Robert Mueller was going to walk into the White House and escort Trump out in cuffs. And yeah. even back then, as someone who is 
again, very liberal leaning, not a fan of Trump. Even I like found, found that kind of an embarrassing scenario to get behind. You know? Yeah. And, you know, the left has a penchant for conspiracy when it comes to President Trump. Um, I mean, M- well, NBC, like they they went deep. And I think Rachel Maddow, just as a single host, like went really deep down Russiagate yes. um, to the point where the idea that Trump was a Kremlin candidate put forward like the Manchurian candidate to become the president of the United States, I mean, is commonplace among like your typical like my crazy uncle character like literally my uncle is a really 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 <laughs> far left guy like he goes to sleep with a rachel maddow book probably under his pillow <laughs> and and he really thinks based off his news consumption that president trump is a, a russian agent that he's been bought by the russian government um and that doesn't come out of nowhere it comes out of a lot of i mean like I, I look at President Trump's background, I look at the news, and I go like, okay, I could plausibly see how maybe he got into a deep amount of real estate debt or something in Russia, or he did something suspect with prostitutes, which we know that he probably courts and porn stars in Russian <laughs> hotels where they have cameras and they film oh this boy. stuff to blackmail political opponents. That are, we go, oh, are we going down that rabbit hole with the P-tape? Uh, we're, we're, I'm going to stay as far away from it as I possibly can after <laughs> mentioning that but yeah. well technically i was the, i was the one who said it's plausible it. <laughs> it's plausible and it's completely reasonable i think to look at all of that and go like it's very very possible that donald trump is compromised by the russian government but then it takes another leap to be like he ran for president to to make make it go away <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, mean, like, I, I agree with you. I mean, like there is merit to suspect, you know, like his dealings with Vladimir Putin. You look at the Helsinki conference back in 2018 where, you know, I can see that. But again, and I want to be careful because yeah, I don't want to screw myself into working for Rachel Maddow one day. But it's, <laughs> there is there is that semblance of like you do see something that's there, uh, that's there, that's plausible. And you jump onto that and absorb that into your own conspiracy theory. Your pre-existing opinions. You're ampl- you're you're, am- yeah. you're amplifying it. Yeah, and you go off of a certain amount of intuition. I think a lot of people consider themselves to be rational people, but they are not able to separate that from the areas in which they are an intuitionist. Um, I have a a intuitionist approach to the world. Um, I'm the kind of person who thinks there's always a reason for everything, that there's a connection between everything. If I see a billboard on the road and like the message of the billboard is speaking to me, like my immediate intuition is that like it's a sign from God and it was meant to be there for me at this moment. Like that's how I absorb my faith. And then that like ripples into everything in my life. And I have trouble compartmentalizing some of these Star Wars conspiracy theories because it makes sense to me that there would be uh, a push and pull between creative and corporate interests in an environment like Disney's Star Wars, that there's going to be a total clash between art and focus grouping of a movie. Um, But then on the other hand, it just goes into this direction of cynicism that I'm not comfortable with. I'm just not comfortable with it. Like it just doesn't seem to me to be right. And there's never been a basis to believe any of these conspiracy theories release the JJ cut. There is no JJ cut. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> or- JJ JJ Abrams has never released a director's cut of any of his movies. None of them. None the Star Trek movies, Super 8, Mission Impossible 3, they have all been the theatrical cut is the director's cut. And I saw an article on Facebook just the other day. It was from just some obscure, you know, derpy entertainment website. And it said the JJ cut could be coming sooner than we think. That's the key word, could. I know. Exactly. And this thing had over 2,000 likes. It had dozens of shares. It had people fawning in the comments and being like, OMG, I hope so. I, and- <laughs> I saw I saw that this week. I, you know, I, I've seen people on Facebook um, share like stories from these comic book sites that say, you know, the, the defenders, you know, Daredevil and Jessica Jones are going to be in the next Spider-Man movie. And my thing is, anytime I say that, I always say, all right, what's the source? And it's always, you know, comic, bl- comic fan at blog spot, whatever. It's, mm-hmm. it's all just rumors. And but again, you it's it's the age we live in of just clickbait. You you see something that appeals to you, it's going to get clicks, it's going to get shares, and before you know it, this nothing story becomes a story. And it's the telephone game, like absolutely, yep. it's possible. It's very possible that there is somebody inside these companies, inside these studios, that like trickles out information to a friend in the fandom community. But it goes through like this telephone game process from one forum to the next to the next to the next, and then gets to an entertainment writer for some rinky-dink blog, and it's just complete nonsense at the end of the day. Um, and then you get a movie. That is nothing like uh, what many of the the prognosticators and and theorists might have suspected. But hey, they got Exegol right, they got Babu Frigg right, and they got the Raylo kiss right. But everything else is wrong. <laughs> and and then here we are, and, and they feel validated. And that's, that's how case. conspiracy works. Yeah, that's the catch twenty two. I mean, you know, you just nailed it. Like, you know, there are some aspects from those leaks that turned out to be right. But even though a lot of them weren't, people are going to latch on to what was right, and they're going to see that as validation. Mm. Andrew Kenlan, TV producer at large. It was very nice to have you on Beltway Banthas. Uh, This was fun. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure, Stephen. Thank you so much. Andrew Kenlan, what a guy. I hope you enjoyed that conversation on... Star Wars conspiracy theory uh, and the really, really just kind of troubled dark future that we are going to be going into that we are really already in that BuzzFeed aptly called a misinformation hell. And that is going to be the future of everything. Uh, I hope you will read these articles and, and sort of get a feel for how the, 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 the narrative line really does connect over the, the course of several decades to the point that we are currently living in with the rise of Skywalker and, you know, this pause that's going to happen in Star Wars fandom as Disney reassesses and and recharts sort of the next phase for the future of the Star Wars franchise. Um, These problems that we face currently are not going to get any better. They're not. Um, The only thing that can possibly change um, is the storytelling approach within Star Wars and the people who are writing it and trying to tell new stories. I think that the best hope for Star Wars is to tell new stories. And you kind of see that playing out uh, with the success of The Mandalorian, which is a series that I have seen as universally loved. Like, really, universally loved. It's miraculous. 
universal. <laughs> so I, I, I think that there's a future for Star Wars still that is going to actually um, be less charged, but it's going to take, I think, some courage and some conviction um, for Disney and the showrunners behind Star Wars today to find it. So wishing them the best the force will need to be with all of them now that does it for episode 80 of beltway banthas um we're going to be going on break here until march uh, so please enjoy your february keep us in your feed don't forget about us we're going to be back and stronger than ever you may notice that i didn't have a bantha fodder for you today i think we kind of captured uh, some of that in the episode itself and i just want to ask you as we wrap up this episode and head into a break for the show um, to go on over to podchaser.com and leave Beltway Banthas a review. Let us know what you've thought of the show um, since it relaunched. Like maybe you left us a review before. You've been listening for, for two years now and you've done it before, but the show is different than it used to be. I'd really like to know how we're doing so that I can chart a better course like good old Disney and Lucasfilm uh, for Beltway Banthas in the year ahead. Um, again, repeat listeners, repeat reviews. Go back and tell us kind of where we are and use podchaser.com uh, slash Beltway Banthas to do that. Um, go there. You can just set up a quick account with like a Facebook or, or Gmail sort of like login. Um, and leave us a review and tell us about where the show has gone, where it could go. Um, and maybe you'll give us a good handful of stars. I appreciate it. And if you do that here before the weekend, your name will still be entered into the drawing to win one of two fantabulous Star Wars books, The Ultimate Pop-Up Galaxy, a $75 value Star Wars book from Insight Editions and Star Wars Rebel Starfighters, a blueprint guide to the Rebellion fleet great books you want them on your bookshelf you're going to get them for free all you got to do is leave us a review but it has to be on podchaser.com okay thank you all i've been your host stephen kent and may the force be with you always <laughs>